Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. Today we start our Building God's House uh, series. I want you to know that you are God's house. This is God's house, but you are God's house. And so everything that we do here is designed at this God's house, at this location. It's designed to build you who are God's house. Amen. So we'll get more into that a little bit later, but let's read the word of the Lord together. Galatians 3, verse 23 through 29. Reese, if you'd read for us today. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, for we are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many, uh, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. How many glad you're heirs to Abraham's promises, amen? All right, let's pray together. Jesus, we ask you to build us today in this house. We ask you to also touch our lives and hearts and give us revelation for how we are to respond and come to you. Lord God, you designed it. You helped us to know you through these schoolmasters in the Old Testament, through the training of the word. And we ask you to let it live in our heart and change us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. In order for me to explain the items that are on the platform here today, the the laver, the brazen laver where washing took place by the priest in the Old Testament and the brazen altar where they sacrificed animals that were atonement for the sins of the people. In order for that the people to have right standing with God, they had to bring an animal sacrifice, an innocent sacrifice that would take their sinful place. And in doing so, they would often come as a family. Everyone say a family. There are several things we have to line out here, and that is a few things that are background to this whole process, because if you just look at something like this, you wouldn't really know what that means. Or if you look at an altar where they're offering animals, that seems kind of strange. It doesn't make much sense. But if you understand that God was using these items to teach his people about himself and that eventually what he would do is he would slowly remove these items as they gained understanding and through time and dispensation. And when Jesus came, he was the fulfillment of all these things. Amen? All right, so I have to take you back just a little bit to an understanding of what took place with the children of Israel, and it starts way back with Abraham, amen? Way back in Genesis chapter 15, uh, verse 8 through 15, we find out some of the backstory of what God was doing with the children of Israel in that Abraham was promised seed that would come forth and would be a great nations and Reese is going to help me read this begin at Genesis 15 verse 8 if you would and he said Lord God whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it and he said unto him take me an heifer of three years old and she 
and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. Okay, wait just a minute there. I want you to understand in verse 15, uh, verse 13, something that God says very strongly. He he first has not changed his name to Abraham. He's speaking to Abram. When God touches you, he always changes you. Amen, somebody. So we have to understand that Abram is still being given promises, but those promises are going to eventually change him. And that's where we have to know in the church of the living God, if I could apply it to us today, we look at a lot of promises from the word of God and we wait on God because we know that when he says something, it has to become what he says. Amen? Because God is not a man that he can lie. So if he says you are something, whether you're that or not at the moment, you begin to change to be what God says. And therefore, when you stand up and you say, I've been set free, I've been delivered, I am a child of God, I am a, I am a praiser and a worshiper of the King Most High, what you're doing is you're then speaking what Jesus already said about you, and you begin to become the choices and the things that you say. Amen. So one so therefore we realize that we don't just make decisions our decisions make us and you make decisions based upon your knowledge and your knowledge needs to be of God and therefore God starts here at the very beginning is speaking to Abraham making him promises and he says to his seed what's going to happen here Abraham is you're going to or Abram you're going to have a seed you're going to have a, a, an heir he's speaking of Isaac of course we know this now reading further that your son is going to become a nation now you have to understand that Abraham was a Gentile he said I'm going to make out of Abraham I'm going to make a Jewish nation a Hebrew people and so he starts to begin the process of making an entire nation out of a promise how many know God's awesome he's amazing like that so he says but there's going to be something that happens you're going to have to go into a place of affliction so he says the land where they shall go is not theirs we know that's talking about the Hebrew people going into Egypt how many know the story of Egypt How many know the story of Joseph in Egypt? I'll blow your mind for just a second. What if Joseph's brothers had believed his dream? Israel would have been a place where everyone went to get food in a famine. If his brothers would have believed his dream. But because they didn't, God used Egypt to provide for the people of Israel. Because when Joseph brought his brothers and his father to Egypt, he saved their life from a famine. But if they would have believed his dream, God could have done in Israel what he did in Egypt. I don't know if you can believe that or not, but that's pretty true. God can do anything as long as we believe his word. Amen? So what happens is, that's just a little caveat. I'm not going to preach on Joseph. Come back some other week, we'll preach on Joseph. Amen. (laughs) We'll do a little study on Joseph. But what happens is he's telling him, your people are going to go out a family of about 70 and they're going to return a nation of about 1.5 million, depending on the scholar you read from. A family to a nation. 
multiplication often happens in our life in places of affliction. Right. That's true. So we have to understand when we get in troubles and trials and difficulties, God will use affliction as an incubator for the things he wants to build in our life and birth in our life. Amen. Right. That's true. So we have to know that God is not forgetting about us. God has not abandoned us when we find ourselves in difficult moments and in affliction. It may just be that God is teaching something about himself in order to multiply something in our lives. Amen? And the multiplication process is not an easy process. He adds to them and multiplies. And that is a good picture for us to understand that when God is silent, it doesn't mean he's forgotten us. Right. Hello, somebody. God can be more silent than anything I've ever seen. Some scholars understand that from Malachi to Matthew were 400 years of silence from God. Some also go back and say from the point that God talked to Abraham, it's very possible he was silent to the Hebrew people for almost 400 years while they were in Egypt. 400 years, 10 generations of not hearing much from God, if at all. Some of us get bent out of shape if we don't hear from God for two weeks. And these people had gone 400 years without knowing truly what God is. They were living in a land that taught them that God is made of stone and silver and gold and wood. Those were the gods that they watched people around them worship. They were living in a pagan land. All the gods they knew were physical gods, physical idols that they went and they worshipped. But they had their heritage, and I'm sure we understand that they held on to that. So they have to, they have to keep what God has given them. But when you have 10 generations and 400 years, you lose a whole lot of church. Hello, somebody. You lose a whole lot of understanding of who your God really is. So when we look at the tabernacle and we begin to talk about building God's house, you have to understand that there's three components to your walk with God. When you first experience God, oftentimes in the first stages of coming to God, he will show you his delivering power. Hello, somebody. He will show you how he can bring you out. Anybody ever been brought out? Amen. Oh my goodness, I guess I might as well give you some personal testimony even if I fall on my sword this morning. When I was younger in college and high school, I started dealing with some addictions and different things and I began to put dates on the calendar like, okay, after this date, I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to live for God. I'm never going to fail again. I'm going to live my life completely for Him. How many know that doesn't work? You, you can't do it on your own. You need the power of the Holy Ghost to help you live for God. Amen? And so I began to deal with different things and try to beat them by myself. And one day I had put dates on calendars and failed and dates on calendars and failed. And I'm like, all right, spring's a good time. New birth, amen, we're going to do it in the spring. All right, in the fall things die. I'm going to die out to this old flesh. And I did this for a little while. And finally I got on my knees and started fasting and praying and seeking God and let his Holy Ghost start working on those things in me, amen. And I came out because of the fact that he delivered me, not because I delivered myself. Sometimes in church, we think that God moves for us and delivers us for ourselves. It is for us, but more importantly, it's for God. He saves by his own will, amen? Right. 
He saves and delivers by his own power. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, amen? So we know that God has a power to deliver. And I, I trust that you understand that I stopped basing my deliverance on a date and started basing my deliverance on a divine and powerful God. And when I did that, everything changed for me, brothers and sisters. Everything changed for me because God knows how to bring you out. I remember standing in service one day and I was like, well, I don't know if I'm going to mess up again. And God just spoke to my spirit and said, why don't you give me all of yourself and let me do the work. And that day I had my deliverance. How many have been brought out before? Who am I speaking to today? You know, God brings you out. You couldn't get out on your own. Yes, we have to understand though, it's his will that does it. And sometimes we look at ourselves and we think, well, look at me, I'm in a suit, I look good, I put myself together, I'm out, I'm doing good for God. But you know what? God does it oftentimes because he knows that the same vigor and the same, the same drive that you had to chase those things in the world and sin, when he delivers you, he expects you to have that same tenacity and that same vigor for him. So if he, oh man, I could preach on that all day. He'll pull a drug addict out of a drug house because he knows that God will use them in the same power and might when their passion gets turned to him. He'll pull somebody out of a lover's bed. He'll pull somebody out of an illicit situation. He'll pull somebody out of some sort of alcoholic stupor. And he'll clean them up. And he'll put a suit on them. Not so we can stand up on Sunday and say, look how good I look. God put me up. God cleaned me up. But so that we can lift our hands and say, had God not brought me out, I would have never made it out. But because of Jesus Christ in my life, I am saved. I am delivered. And I am set free. The power of God. So 400 years, and just so you know that God's not going to just let anybody afflict his people without making it right. If anybody comes against the children of God, God keeps the record books, amen? We don't have to worry about someone mistreating you, not giving you the proper due that you have, not giving you that promotion when you worked hard on the job. You just go ahead and put it in God's hands. He takes care of the books, amen? amen. And so I trust God that he's going to do something mighty in my life anytime I see an inconsistency with his word. And so he says here that he is going to repay. He says, he says I will, will I judge? He said, they shall serve him. But will I judge them? I, he's obviously saying he's going to bring judgment. Also, and also, verse 14, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. In other words, he's saying they are going to serve a Pharaoh, but someday they're going to serve me. And when they serve me, I'm going to make all those years come to pass to judgment, and I'm going to bring a proper end to that. And he also says this, that I will judge them and afterwards they shall come out with great substance. Everyone say great substance. Great substance. Uh, it's funny how God doesn't mind talking about blessings. We get all upset about people talking about blessings, driving nice cars and wearing nice things. And, and I'm, not a, I'm not a prosperity preacher. I don't, I don't believe in that, not at all. Because if you say you're only going to prosper when you live for God, the first time you fall into hardship because God's using affliction to teach you some more about him. Amen. 
the affliction is the, the schoolmaster, amen? I already talked about that a little bit. But once you get through the affliction, you realize if you learn the lessons you were supposed to learn in that trial or test, you will never see that affliction again. Well, that's, uh, that's five of you that believe it. Thank you. You won't have to go back through that kind of affliction, but that doesn't mean that when you get saved, you're going to be all roses and it's all going to be wonderful. That's a prosperity preaching type of thing, but I promise you, those that have afflicted you, God will judge and he will bring you out of your affliction with greater substance. That substance may be a physical substance in the Old Testament for them, where they came out with things hanging off of them and jewelry hanging off of them and different things, but you have to realize that he brought them out with that stuff because they didn't know what kind of God he was at all they didn't know what kind of God all they knew was what the heathens did and the heathens put on earrings the heathens wore all kinds of jewels and things and it showed that their God was blessing them their idols were blessing them but we have a God now that's going to set up a tabernacle to teach them how to worship but in order for him to set up a tabernacle he has to teach the people that you don't you don't own anything until you put something into it and so what he does is he decorates his people with the things of Egypt, even though they don't understand. And when they come out, he said, now you can take those things off. Now you can take those things off and you can give them to the priest who's going to establish the tabernacle with them. And they're going to put them on the ephod of the priest. And it's going to be a representation of the stones of the tribes of Israel. And what you understand then from that is the people got it in their heart that if I am not giving to the tabernacle, then therefore I am not a part of ownership of God's house am I getting too serious with you maybe this is too deep for a Sunday morning maybe I should put this in Bible study so what he says is they're going to be in there 400 years I'm going to bring them out with great substance and they're going to understand when they come out they're walking out going hey look at what our God did check us out we're leaving with all kinds of substance look how amazing our God is you worship those idols but apparently Abraham knows a God that's going to do great things and so they get out to the Red Sea the, the different places where they begin to travel and God starts to work miracles and guess what he does he delivers them that's where he starts. He brings them out. And did we get to verse 15 as of yet? Go, go on and read verse 15. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and mm -hmm. thou shalt be buried in a good old age. And so he says, Abraham, don't worry about it. Go ahead and go to sleep. You're going to live a long life and go to, to a good old age. How many want to live to a good old age? That's a whole lot older than I want to live, quite frankly. But I want to go to heaven. So he, he says, don't worry about it. I'm going to do this. But guess what? He doesn't fulfill it in Abraham's lifetime. How many know God is a God of promises? But those promises, before you clap, let me say the next thing. <laughs> those promises may not come to pass in your lifetime. Because God promised Abraham, and he fulfilled the promise to a dead man in Moses. So God sees Abraham, puts a promise into his life, says you're going to be, your sea is like the stars of the sky and the seas of the sand. You're going to, all these things are going to happen, but you have to realize that God always answers with fire. And whenever God decides to do something, he starts it with a covenant of fire. And so then we see the promise coming to Moses in the burning bush. 
starts off the promise being fulfilled because God does two things with fire. Number one, he judges with fire and he starts covenants with fire. So the first place that God begins to teach his children is the brazen altar where there's going to be a sacrifice by fire. I can't get into it too deep, but I want to talk to you about what God has done. So therefore, we, we deal with the delivering God, we deal with the second component is a God who does things, who has done things for us, and we should praise and worship him for those things. And then we have a God who wants to dwell with us. So he delivers us. He then wants us to praise him for all the things he's done for us. And then he definitely wants us to understand that by the power of his spirit living inside of us, he wants to dwell with us. We were singing that song earlier about that God would meet with us here. I think that you have to understand the difference between God and all other gods that they were worshiping at that time is they were, they were seeing people worship gods that couldn't do much for them. But when they got to the point of understanding God, they needed to understand that God is a covenant-keeping God, okay? There is only two races. That's why I read to you Galatians to begin because he said there's no Jews, there's not Greeks, it's not black, it's not white, it's not Hispanic, it's not African-American and all all these other groups that we label, okay, as people and races. That's not what how God looks at things. He, he in fact, heaven's going to be one multicultural place. Amen. If you don't like a multicultural church, don't go to heaven, because it's going to be a place where there's people from all nationalities and all colors. Amen. God's more concerned about sin covered than skin color. Amen. Come on, let's preach in here today. That God is about getting people to Him. He wants to meet with us and dwell in us. So you have to understand that there's only two types of people there's not races to God there are people who are in covenant and people who are not in covenant and if you get in covenant you're a part of the people that are going to heaven amen and so you have to have a picture and an understanding of how do I become in covenant with a God who I've never known for 400 years my grandfather's grandfather didn't even know him and now we're walking out following a man who's doing great deliverance miracles but I don't even know where we're going and how will I know because I've had 400 years of deterioration of God's house in me so it's like whenever you're traveling with your kids and they're in the back seat and they start asking 60 million questions are we there yet where are we going mom where are we going what's the next place where, where, where to now and you're like please just shut up and follow just please just sit there we'll get there we'll, we'll be there when we're there mommy are we there yet mommy are we there that's what the children of Israel are like no wonder they gave Moses so much grief Tanya no wonder they gave him so many problems and they murmured and they complained and they said would we would have died in Egypt at least there we had food and we're not out here in the wilderness starving and 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 doing all the things that we're trying to do apparently following this guy who says he hears from God I don't know because I've never heard from God really myself I've never really experienced this myself he says that God said he wants to bring us unto me and that means that we're supposed to go out and serve God because we did serve Pharaoh but now we're supposed to serve God hello somebody when you did serve things before you're now supposed to go and serve God and he says that God wants to meet with us but I don't even know who this God is and so when I ask questions he just tells me well I'm following God and so then God begins to speak to them and says build me a house and in the beginning he puts the house outside the camp some scholars call it the provincial tabernacle 
But as it works its way into their life and he teaches them who he is, it makes its way to the sinner. So we have to understand when someone first comes to God and they feel God's presence and they're like, this feels great, but it's a little weird. (laughs) I don't know what I'm feeling here, but it feels good. When you experience that, you have to realize that you need to speak to them about the delivering power of God. You need to get your testimony out and dust it off and share with somebody what God has delivered you from. Because that's the level that they're at. You start talking about speaking in tongues and dancing in church, and they're like, I don't know that God you're talking about. And I don't know about you, but I'm not Abraham. I'm not going to get 1.5 million people to follow me when I don't know where I'm going. It's going to be a little bit difficult to sell that one, okay? So you don't start talking about God dwelling in you as fast as you start talking about God delivering them out of everything that they've been through. And then as you start showing them your testimony, you say, see, God delivers by the word of their testimony and by the blood of the lamb. And you start experiencing things and you start teaching them. Oh, sorry, Reese, I'll get back to you. (laughs) I'm just leaving him up there just to sit. I just want to make him feel really uncomfortable today. And so you start teaching them about repentance. And what you should understand about the Old Testament is this place where they offered sacrifice and they had four horns and they would tie down the animal to these four horns as they were offering sacrifice. They came as a family. And I I, want to tell you, if you're a Christian and you're saved and you're living for God and you've said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, your kids shouldn't be sitting up playing games at home while you're at church on a Sunday morning. I don't know if I can say that in here. You shouldn't be asking your kids if they feel like going to the house of God. This has nothing to do with how you feel. This has everything to do with what he did for us. And so you have to understand that as, as you look through the brazen altar and you see all that happened in the Old Testament, you should look through it and see the cross. Amen? You should look right through it and see Jesus Christ because he was the ultimate sacrifice that took this out of our life and fulfilled all of the sacrifice that was needed for us. Amen? But when they came as families, can I get a few family members? Can I have you guys? Yeah, I don't care. Just a couple of you guys. You'll be all my sons. Yeah, all my sons. You'll be all. Can I use them? Is that okay? We're embarrassing Reese. We might as well embarrass a few more people. All right. All right. Now, these are my boys. Good-looking boys, aren't they? Oh, we ought to make some more of those. They're good-looking kids. All right. So now, 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 just wait here. Now, you guys hold hands because you guys are about five and six. Yes, this is going to get real awkward. Real awkward. And so, and I'm leading you to the house of God. We're going to go and we're going to offer sacrifice. Now, while we're standing here, we understand that there's going to be fire in the tabernacle where the sacrifice is placed because there's judgment there and there's covenant there. Amen? We covered that. So what they're doing is they're watching an innocent lamb, an innocent animal, take on death and bleed and die and be burned with fire for their sins. They're not sitting up at home playing video games. They're not going to church only when they feel like it. You're bringing them as a family so that they can see the great cost of their sin. And it's built into the next generation how much it costs to be right with God. How much it it, it takes for you to have a relationship and a covenant with God. 
They see something die for them, take the place for them. And so God is teaching them, when you understand this as a generation, I'm going to make you a generation in Jesus Christ that never needs to do this again, but you have to come to God's house and remember on a weekly basis how he died for us, how he shed his blood for us, how he was ripped till the scripture said he was without form and visage, how he took on our sin. We're losing the cost of sin in America. And it's a tragedy because our children are walking away from church because we're not taking them to the brazen altar. We're not taking them to the cross. Thank you, boys. Good job. Give them a big hand. Great job, guys. I may not get to all the scriptures. We'll have to get back to it. Let's look at Exodus 19, 3 through 12. I want to talk about when God does it, when it's done, when he's done something for you. He's delivered us. We need to take our children and we need to take our family. We need to have them experience. If you want to know the exact locations of where the brazen laver is and where the brazen altar is, the brazen laver is in Exodus 30, 18, and 20, and the brazen altar is in Exodus 29, 42 through 46. I'll put that in for the recording, but you need to know that as God is teaching his people, that, that the scripture says that it was the schoolmaster. So these things were teaching us about Jesus. And when we know Jesus, Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I might be in covenant with him because the only difference is covenant, not covenant. Paul said, I want to be in covenant with God. How do you get in covenant? There's several things that this teaches us. Number one, it teaches us that salvation is a process. Salvation is a process. You have to start learning who God is through the tabernacle. So as God began to teach them, and as time went on and the generations learned of God and brought sacrifice and learned who God was, by the time you get to the cross, the tabernacle is no longer necessary. They've walked out of Egypt and been delivered over a lifetime and over generations. Amen? So let's read. I'm going to hit a couple things in this. Exodus chapter 19. Um, did I give you? Exodus yeah. 19, 3 through 12. 3 through 12. And okay. Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called, him, un, called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Okay, okay. He said, I brought you out, but I didn't just bring you out. I brought you unto myself. Okay? And he said, I got you jet service. <laughs> I got you a flight out of there. How many know that when God brings you out of affliction, it doesn't take him all day? You might have been there for a long time. You might have thought God forgot about you and left you in a difficult situation. But when he decides to work, he can do it in a very short amount of time. He can take years problem and change it and make it into deliverance immediately and he said i'm going to bring you out on eagle's wings and i'm going to bring you out unto myself amen go ahead and read on now therefore if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant then ye shall be a peculiar treasure okay let's stop right there a peculiar treasure you're going to be a weird treasure you're going to be a strange treasure is what that means see that's why some people can't live for god because they want to run with the crowd and you cannot run with the crowd and walk with God 
Because if you want to be like everybody else, you will have trouble living for God. I'm not trying to be candy coating. I'm not candy coating anything today. I understand that. But I have to try to get through the tabernacle and show you why God put this in their life. He put it in their life so that they would dismantle their life to take on his life. Dismantle what they knew. The literal representation of repentance is to destroy the house so that God can build it again. So when we talk about building God's house, we're talking about dismantling every thought and everything we ever thought in order to break it down so there's a foundation that God can lay and build a house again in us. So all of this stuff is only necessary to change the way they thought about God that he's not in an idol. Hello, somebody. There's no satisfaction of a God who's in stone or wood or, or built with man's hand. Never worship something built by man's hands. Amen? Right. Only worship a God who knows how to build all things. And so God begins to dismantle their thinking in order to rebuild it again so that he can build a tabernacle, take them through the tabernacle to an ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ so that then he can make us his tabernacle. Amen? He can make us the house of God. So when we come here on Sundays, we better come with an attitude of God's going to build me up today. My faith is going to grow today. I'm going to have something change me today. There's going to be something happen that helps me walk with God today. And his word then needs to get inside of us. So the labor, I'm, I'm off. Let me hit a couple things real quick. Just stay there, stay there. The, the Bible says that in the process, we understand that these things represent a tabernacle that teaches us something. It teaches us about Christ. It teaches us that salvation was a process. And it teaches us, number three, that covenant people have access to God. Right. Those three things have to understand that not only did he go from the brazen the brazen altar for sacrifice which smelled horrible which had fire all of this is the outer court amen everyone say outer court. outer court this wasn't inside the tent this was inside the gate this was through the door which we'll find out is jesus christ because there's no other way in except jesus christ amen so you had to come through the door you had to come through the tribe of judah which means praise you had to praise god you have to lift up his gate there's prayers that they said on the way in then they came and they did their sacrifice and then the priest would go and he'd wash his hands in the laver do you know what the laver means it represents baptism and he would wash his hands and he would wash his feet meaning you need to wash everything in life off of you when you go through baptism it means that they cleaned themselves up because they were now going to step into the holy place inside the temple, inside the tent itself, and beyond that was the veil where the Holy of Holies was. I, I, can I preach for just a second? It might be in too long. Give me just five minutes. Some people only live their life for God in the outer courts. They come and hear the preacher and they think, oh, God wants my sacrifice. Here we go, Lord. You want my sacrifice? I'm going to give you some sacrifice. There's that. There's, there's my job. There's my, you know, whatever. They start giving sacrifice. This is the only relationship some people have with God. Repentance. They're repenting all the time. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. And they never go beyond to the point of washing of the word and regeneration. Amen? Because this not only rep represents baptism, it re represents the word of God. Ephesians. Jump to uh, Ephesians. Did I hit everything? Hold on. Read what you got there. Give me just a second. <laughs> I'm getting so excited. Starting uh, at verse 5, the peculiar treasure. Mm -hmm. um, you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Mm -hmm. Okay. It, Read on. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation, 
these are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Good, good, good. We're done. <laughs> that right there is what I wanted to hit. Notice it says kingdom of priests. You see that? Kingdom of priests. That's why you don't just come to church when you feel like it. That's why you don't just worship when you feel like it. You have been made a kingdom of priests by the covenant of washing of the word and by baptism. And your baptism is not a sprinkling, brothers. Is not a sprinkling. The mode of baptism is how you got baptized. The formula of baptism is, how, is what you said or how you did it. In other words, the mode is in water by immersion because it's like going into a grave with Jesus Christ. And the, the formula is in the name of Jesus Christ because that's the only thing that can remit sins. There's no salvation in any other name, amen? So that is how you have to do it. But they had a, a visual of that. They didn't know anything about God. This is only a visual to them of what, they, it, was the, it was the pediatrics of the salvation process. It was its infancy, its beginnings. And so what, what you see here is God is saying to them, you're going to be a nation, read that nation, kingdom of priests. That's all right, it's right here. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. That means that what the priests did in the old tabernacle is what we're supposed to do in this tabernacle. That means that when we come in here, whether we feel like it or not, we need to serve the Lord. Whether we feel like it or not, we need to worship the Lord. We need to lift hands and bring praise like that incense in the holy place that goes up before God in prayer is often the representation of that. And we'll get into all that in a couple weeks or a week from now. But you have to understand that when you get baptized and you get washed in the blood, you become in covenant with God and you become a kingdom of priests. And therefore, you are to serve God. You're to lift him up. You're to magnify him. You're to do all of those things that praise and honor God. Amen? And so therefore, people don't understand that and they take baptism completely out of the picture. Believe on Christ and you shall be... This isn't a salad bar. You don't get to choose how you come to God. You have to go according to the plan, amen? He started it this way for a reason. He didn't put a brazen altar in a tabernacle in the middle of a wilderness just because God felt like it. He didn't put it there so that they could lift it up and carry it around and get swole because they're carrying gold. God didn't do that. It wasn't for us. It was, it was for us, but it wasn't for just us getting an understanding. It was that he was painting a picture of what would be in the future. These are shadows. And so therefore, we have to have baptism because baptism is how we are coming into covenant with Christ Jesus. Okay? And that is how we become a kingdom of priests. And therefore, you can walk into a sick person and you don't have to call pastor. You can just lay your hand on their head and say, in Jesus' name. I am a priest and a king in God's tabernacle. You don't have to go call. And I understand there's authority. Don't get me wrong. There's authority in the church. And there's elders. And there's people who have walked with God a long time. You know what they have? They've had all this stuff removed. And now they go straight to God. And they know how to touch God. Because they've been doing it for so long. Because they've built their house into a holy of holies. And we'll get to that. But the problem is there's so many people that live in the outer court. This is the stuff that's in the outer court. They would sacrifice. They would wash. Not even into the holy place yet. Isn't it powerful? All the stuff that was symbol symbolic even outside the tabernacle. And as I wrap up, I want you to know this. That the scripture, I have other things to say, but we'll have to get back to all that. There's so much here. I, I want you to know that I don't have enough time. We have a baby on the loose. 
She wants to come get baptized. No, no, that's the wrong kind of baptism. <laughs> so what you have to understand is some people live in the outer court in these two different things. They believe and are baptized, but they never go on into the Holy of Holies and get filled with God's Spirit speaking in other tongues. And the reason why they don't do that is because they don't understand. In the outer court, there's natural light. There's natural light. You don't have to wonder where the light's coming from. You look up, uh, sun, that's good, that's great. There's natural light. When you get into the holy place, there's only the candlesticks that are lighting it. And John, when he was on the Isle of Patmos, the revelator, he said, I turned and saw one like unto the son of man clothed with a garment down to his foot, girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were white as wool, white like snow. His feet were as fine brass as if they burned in a furnace and his voice was the sound of many waters. And when I saw him, I turned and there he was standing in the seven candlesticks. He was standing in the candlesticks. Why did he say, I see him in the candlesticks? Because Jesus was the light. And he was showing him the picture of what he knew and that Jesus was a representation of that light. So the seven candlesticks in the holy place is the light that was in there. You can look and go, where's the light coming from? Oh, the candlesticks. That represents Jesus Christ. But then you go into the holy of holies where the priest only went in once a year to offer an atonement sacrifice where there's always going to be blood, smoke, and fire. So you have to understand that when God answers and saves us, he wants us to walk through the blood, the water, and the fire. He wants us to go through the sacrifice, repentance, the washing, baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Amen? That was his salvation process. And when you don't go into the holiest of holies, you never have true revelation from God. And if you never have true revelation, you can never have true relationship. And so you're standing in the outer court going, yep, there's light. There's a sun. Go back to Genesis. I'll prove it to you just one last time. Genesis, he says, God says, let there be light. You don't have to go there. I'll just tell you. You can go look it up. Read Genesis chapter 1 and the creation story. He says, let there be light. And then on the fourth day, he creates the sun and moon, the greater light and the lesser light to rule the night. Where was the light for the first three days? God was that light. So when you go into the Holy of Holies, the only thing illuminating that room is the Shekinah glory, the light of God. When he shimmered over the altar of, and I'm telling you what, you never know true revelation. You never know truly who God is. You can, you can stand in the outer court and you can process the things of God with all of your natural knowledge, all your natural light. Everything that you know and experience of God is, is possibly only in what I understand of him and where I've been. And you can learn a lot of things about the, police, the places in, in the tabernacle and how God responds to his people. But when you step into the holy place, you start looking at Jesus as your light and you start saying hey the word is a light unto my feet because Jesus was made flesh and dwelt among us amen and he was the word that was made flesh and so then therefore you start walking according to the illumination of what Jesus teaches us in the word of God and he becomes your candlestick or your light and then when you get filled with the Holy Ghost and you begin to speak in other tongues as the spirit gives utterance all of a sudden there's a light inside of you and God lit you up and God starts to give you revelation and your spirit is now fused with his spirit and he will tell you things that you cannot even understand. So in the outer court is natural light. Inner court is, is 
is Jesus in candlestick understanding light. And in the Holy of Holies is God's light. And so I, as we finish today, I want you to know that when you walk into that place with God, where he begins to speak to you, you have to understand that's a representation of your body. That the outer court is where repentance took place. Yes. But the outer court is your flesh, where your flesh dies. You die out to yourself. And the holy place is your soulish man, your emotions, your will, your thinking. That's your soul. And you can feel God a whole lot before you ever get the Holy Ghost. You can feel God on you before he's in you, amen? But whenever you get the Holy Ghost, you've stepped into the Holy of Holies. That's your spirit, man. You are the building in the house of God. And when you get that inside of you, you have God saying things to you that doesn't make sense to your soulish mind, your emotions, or your will, or your understanding, but you feel it in your spirit first. Spirit will speak to spirit, amen? And when your spirit is fused by the power of the Holy Ghost, when you've been filled with God's spirit, he will speak to your spirit, and then he'll pull it out of you in revelation as he brings it to your understanding in your mind. He will do that because he's a God who teaches all things, amen? He'll set up an entire tabernacle in the wilderness just to pull revelation out of his children, just to give them an understanding of who he is. Do you understand that you're the building of the Lord today? Would you stand with me? I hope I've helped you. Has this been good for you? Have you learned something? He wants to dwell with us. Let's thank Reese for helping us read. Thank you, Reese. So natural light. Our natural understanding in this location helps us to understand, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, there needs to be a sacrifice. When you go into the holy place, you need to understand that Jesus gives us revelation. And when you go into the holy of holies, you understand that he speaks in you and through you. So let's build the house of God today. Would you lift your hands and sacrifice to him right now? Let's walk through the altar of God. Today in the brazen altar, we want to give a sacrifice to God. Would you give your life as a sacrifice to him right now? Lord God, we understand you want repentance in my life. You want me to die out to my flesh. Lord God, we're building your house, Jesus. We want, we want your house built up in us, Lord God. You made a temporary tabernacle in the wilderness to teach us how you would want to dwell in each one of us. Would you help us today to be that sacrifice? I know we shouldn't put a date on a calendar, but you can help us to give, us, to give our lives to you completely, Jesus. Would you help us today to give whatever sacrifice you would ask us? of us. Would you help us today to lay down everything that's needed? And everyone said, in Jesus' name. And if you felt like you've repented, would you do that right now if you haven't? Jesus, forgive me for anything. Let, let your sacrifice of the cross be my substitute again today. And forgive me of my sins. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, in Jesus' name. Now, I believe that we just walked through that sacrifice place in the tabernacle in ourselves now some of you may not have been baptized in Jesus name before if you see me I will make this happen for you and we will be able to baptize here shortly in this location but you need to go through the water amen because that's what makes you in covenant with God 
And the Bible says in Acts 2 and 38 that it's for the remission of sins. It's for the washing away completely. You start all over again with God. And you start over in a better place than the, than the Hebrews had, where they had a tabernacle that they had to relate with. You're not going to worship God for a building. You're not going to worship God for a blessing. You, when you go through the waters of baptism, every time you slip up and you make a mistake, you hit one knee and you say, God, I'm sorry. Would you remember my baptism? Would you remember that you washed me? I want to be in covenant with you every day. And His mercy and His grace comes down. And His grace upon grace upon grace upon grace falls upon you and you know what it's like to know God's manifold blessings in your life that is the, the relationship I want every one of us to have is a God who builds us would you pray this prayer Jesus if I haven't been baptized in Jesus name would you give me the, the strength and the courage to go down in a watery grave and bury my past forever washed away everything I've ever done is now clean brand new give me the strength to talk to that preacher and get baptized today in Jesus name